Well, welcome everybody. We've got the whole crew here, so you know what that means. It's a pop. No, no. It's a favorites episode. Oh. oh. Almost got you. Almost got you. <laughs> we are going to share some of the favorite workouts from guests we've had on the show. I don't know what to say next. <laughs> So I'm just going to look at you guys and hope you say something. Wow. You couldn't think of something to say after that? No, I couldn't. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, we got some all-stars in here. We get some Steven Seiler. We get some Frank Overton, Sonia Looney, Paul Larson. Hey, I know what he's going to want to do. He's going to want to do some intervals, short intervals, I bet. Basically, it's that time of year that a lot of us are out there talking about developing the base, mm. developing the uh, the engine. I mean, when I'm thinking of how do I optimize base, I think, do I upgrade my amplifiers or my subwoofers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't need any of I don't that. know why. <laughs> Trevor just looked at me like, <laughs> that man is an idiot. <laughs> Good, you read my face. Uh, yeah, no, learning I, me. I, I think <laughs> the whole reason I'm here is so that he has somebody to look at when... <laughs> Rob makes a dad joke. Uh, Griffin, you want to rescue this train wreck? You know, I was just going to say, I look forward to going through these workouts and understanding when and who and how to apply them. So let's get into it. Alter Exploration is a new custom cycling tour company created by me, Fast Talk Labs co-founder, Chris Case. Alter Exploration crafts life-altering trips that create opportunities for both physical and mental evolution. Alter's trips aren't so much a vacation as an exploration of you and the destination. At the end of every day, be preoccupied as much by the transformative experience as by the satisfaction of exhaustion and reach a greater understanding of your physical and mental capabilities while simultaneously experiencing a stunning landscape. Life altered. Learn more about my favorite adventure destinations and start dreaming at alterexploration.com. So here's what we're going to do. We originally going to do a favorites episode on base work, but everybody that we asked about base work tended to give us the, I just like to go out and ride with my friends. And we figured 50 minutes of that was probably not the, the best use of an episode. But we did get some really interesting workouts. We got some good lower intensity building that volume type workouts. And then we got some good high intensity workouts. So what we're going to do is break it in two. We're first going to play the workouts that are the more let's build some volume, let's build up some training stress type workouts. We'll talk about those and then we'll shift. We got three high intensity workouts, play them all. Let's kind of compare and contrast and have a discussion about those. I'm kind of looking forward to these base ones because you know, there's that constant debate that we bring up of the polarized versus sweet spot. So here we've got one from Dr. Steven Seiler which is very much the zone two on the five zone model. So staying in that polarized area. And then we got a good Frank Overton. Let's hit every zone. Let's do a bunch of sweet spot. Let's see how much training stress we can accumulate. And we are throwing in there also Sonia Looney talking about her favorite sweet spot intervals. So what do you guys think? Should we play these and then have a conversation? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So we will start with, Dr. Steven Seiler talking about one of his favorite zone two workouts. What's zone two? You know, that has become the catchphrase, kind of like it's under your first lactate turn point, but it's kind of close and you're, everybody's trying to understand what it is. So that's where I've been doing this 180, 220, 180, 220, just going back and forth and then looking at my 
you know, am I keeping heart rate flat? And so I'm actually doing quite a few of those. And I'm doing for the first time, I'm using ergo mode and just turning off my brain and just working. And three, four years of cycling, I've just never done that because I've always felt like, no, I want to be engaged. I want to be using my brain to keep the power in that. But no, now I'm just... I'm just plugging in and it just goes up and down and, you know, does this little, whatever you called it, baserval. And now I'm playing with the idea, okay, how am I going to program this or progress it? So let's say I'm doing 180, 220, 225 as, as the two, you know, I'm five minutes of each and I'm just going, going, going. Sometimes I go longer. So that's a programming issue, but you can also think, well, Steven, you could also bump the 225 to 230. Or you could bump the 180 to 185, right? So you you could play with either the easy or the the higher level. You could lengthen. How do I program this? I think the last thing I'm going to do is bump the 180 up. That's probably the least likely thing I'll do. But I might. I have gone from 220 to 225, and that was just to make sure that I actually averaged 220 because it wasn't quite achieving the what I wanted it to on the power. So anyway, so I'm. That's my favorite workout in the sense that it's just i'm interested in it i'm looking at it using it and looking at cardiac drift i'm looking at ventilation i'm just seeing how my body responds and very typically my body stays very flat for two hours and then starts ramping up you know so two hours just seems to be kind of my what should i say my glycogen limit i don't know what's going on but i do start seeing a clear decoupling consistently at two hours pretty much no matter what I do. And so I, maybe it's just my fiber type. I don't know. Trevor, as you pointed out the other day, you did some base riding on the trainer, I, I believe. And, and you came in and said, my God, there was so much like strain after doing it on the trainer monotonously for hours on end. It's a different signaling, I think, than when oh, you're yeah. riding outside and, and you're coasting and you're at stoplights well, and you're at a hundred Watts. It, and it was the erg mode. Yeah. Because oh, I've, I've done a six-hour ride on Zwift, and, sure. and believe it or not, I actually enjoyed it. But this was the first time I did what you two are doing. Yeah, in erg mode, you get no favors. Yeah, <laughs> zero. If, if you pause for just five seconds, all of a sudden you can barely get moving again because it suddenly the torque is so damn high. So yeah. so it I figured out, oh, yeah, I got to really, I can't do anything wrong on erg mode, you know. Yep. What do you feel are the benefits of this? I'm just trying to build good basic aerobic capacity. I'm of a general impression that the higher my LT1 is, the better. It's just a fundamental, that maybe is the marker, you know, of basic, my basic fitness is the higher I can go without accumulating any kind of lactate, the better. And I'm investing some energy in trying to see whether I can bump, keep that up as, you know, reasonably high, that LT1 power. That's really interesting because I have noticed over the last 10 years, my LT2 hasn't changed very much, but my LT1 has changed a lot. And I have noticed that my performance racing each year really correlates more with where that LT1 is. The the years where my LT1 is is much lower, I, I don't race as well. Yeah. And I think that there's actually, we could find data that there's been some others that have argued this in some research publications that the first, the first lactate turn point or first ventilatory threshold is, is a very good predictor of time trialing and so forth. You might think, well, why isn't it the LT2 in that? But it just seems like your diesel, you know, how much of your basic aerobic metabolism can you 
draw on without really turning on any kind of glycolysis or a big stress response, that is just a bigger savings because every time you go above it, you, you're taxing the system. So if I can set that point just a little higher and think of that over hours and hours and hours, then that's, that's good for me. And that's also, I would say, the basic idea of this training intensity distribution is that's the marker that demarcates essentially two training zones, low stress, high stress. And that's really my 20-year, I won't call it an epiphany because it's taken me 20 years to get there. So it's kind of the opposite of an epiphany. But it's just this slow realization that what's really being polarized is not intensity, it's stress. How do I manage the stress, get the signal, manage the stress, and that's, for me, it's basically what people have been doing for years, hard, easy. You know, it's not new. All right, so let's completely shift gears here and let's go to one of Frank Overton's favorite workouts. So Frank Overton, as you know, is a big fan of sweet spot training. And he has what he, I like the name of this, the Amex OTS, which I'll let him explain. But this is all about accumulating training stress. One of our most favorite sweet spot workouts is the OTS ride. And it's a challenge to the athlete if they can achieve, let's just say a 200 OTS in three and a half hours. And it's fun, it's flexible, it lets them do it on a group ride where they can actually probably do more work by following wheels than they could on their own. Or if they wanna go out and ride hills and you know push the higher end of sweet spot, you know to use the terrain to help them achieve more work, that's all fair game too. And then in addition to the favorite sweet spot workout, one of the other workouts that I love a lot, we call it the Amex ride. And uh, Amex, uh, don't leave home without it. And Amex OTS is don't come home without it. And so you give the athlete a workload and you say you don't come home without it. And this is an all zones ride. So it works with uh, spirited group rides, races. Uh, they can uh, ride zones four, five, and six up hills and just generally ride hard, which is a lot of athletes like doing this. And it, again, it's we give these rides maybe once a week. It's not like they're doing this four or five times a week. But um, those are two of my favorite. Well, one was Sweet Spot. But the Amex ride, you can achieve a lot within, if you do a lot of Sweet Spot within the Amex ride. But it's like Sweet Spot plus all the hard stuff. Could you give us the, the quick 30-second summary of what OTS means? Yeah. OTS is optimized training stress. It's a power-based and heart rate-based metric. It's duration times intensity. And it takes into account the rider fatigue for long rides. So you get credit for the third and the fourth and the fifth hour where you incur more stress than you do in the first and the second. And it also doesn't take into account coasting, and we use an exponentially weighted moving average. And then would you do these workouts all year round or is this something at a particular time of year? Definitely not all year round. Uh, it depends on the time of the year. Definitely during the build phases where you're looking to generate large workloads to increase training load. It can be during the season. A lot of times these workouts occur on Saturdays where the athlete has, that's like the long ride day. And then what would you say is the, the biggest benefit you gain from these two workouts? A lot of times athletes just need to ride more in order to get faster. And so these bouts of training are their chance to ride more and it expands their range. 
It also is specific oftentimes for the types of events they're doing for these gravel and, and Fondo events that are four, five, six, seven hours plus. And we can match these workloads that we know come from the races and have them do that in, in their training. And it also helps them put the two and two together. So they're like, dang, this race that I did sign up for is gonna be really difficult. Finally, even though this isn't so much of a, a base miles ride, we're doing that contrasting a polarized versus sweet spot. So let's bring Sonia Looney in here. She has what she loves to do. She's a mountain biker, very high level mountain biker. She loves weekly to do three by 15 minute sweet spot intervals. So let's hear her describe this. I'm a big fan of sweet spot workouts. So the three by 15 minute sweet spot training is always really helpful for me. It's hard and it's it's a grind, but it's not so hard that it actually blows you up. So describe this. So three by 15 minutes. So what sort of intensity are you doing? So sub threshold, like just under threshold, but not popping over. Okay. And then what's the recovery length between each of the 15 minutes? Sometimes it's based on the terrain that I'm riding because I'm on the mountain bike, but 10 to 15 minutes in between, or sometimes five minutes in between if I'm getting closer to an event. Is this something you'll do throughout the base season or you do it every week or is it infrequent? It's pretty much every week. Wow. So once a week or? Once a week. I usually do for my interval training, I do one sweet spot type workout and then one threshold type workout unless I'm doing a recovery week or I'm tired from life. <laughs> Fantastic. And what do you feel are the benefits of doing that workout? A sweet spot workout because whenever I'm racing, I'm often as an ultra endurance racer, I'm not often racing at super high intensities, but having a lot of tolerance for that sub threshold and having a really wide zone there helps me go harder for longer without blowing up. And I also think that in stage racing, you're spending most of your time racing at around your sweet spot. All right, folks, you heard the three. What are your thoughts? What are your reactions? And Grant, I'm looking at you because you look like you're ready to get on a soapbox. No, 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 no. I have no reaction. I have a reaction. Rob, what's your reaction? Steven stole my heart when we <laughs> ate hot wings together, <laughs> but he really pushed it over the top. When he does erg mode erg based mode workouts, work. oh he's my, my, God. my boy, my boy over here, you know, <laughs> stealing out of my playbook, rocking the erg mode for base on the trainer, man. That's that's about as good as training gets, in my opinion. <laughs> You're a nut job, but I do love the concept of prescribing erg mode based miles because then people can't. They can't mess it up. They can't mess they it up. They literally can't mess it up. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Dr. Siler, if you're listening, I just apologize that Rob has convinced you to do this. No, I don't think that I convinced him to do it, but, you know, you know, we're on the same page, you know? I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't have to use erg mode, but what I like about this is the exploration and base. Mm -hmm. I like that he's keeping 180 at 180. Yep. So the low end of base stays at low end of base and then kind of exploring what the higher end of base is. And I think it's important that there is the ebb and the flow mm -hmm. in the workloads to mm -hmm. tell you the truth. And other people will be like, well, why, why can't I just set it, you know, for him? Why can't I just set it at 200 watts and go from there? Mm -hmm. Like, because that's not riding. That's, you got to push forward a little bit. You got to pull back mm -hmm. a little bit. You know, you're mimicking what's on the road. You got to change the tension that's occurring in your legs. I think all of that is important. And I do think that the trainer can be monotonous for people. And, and something like this helps break that monotony. So I want to hear what you guys have to say about where we kind of finish this conversation. Because you heard my opinion. I do think raising that LT1 is one of the most important things you can do. And for anybody listening, as if you haven't heard our past episodes talking with Dr. Seiler, 
He has a three-zone model that's differentiated by two thresholds. You have LT2, which is what most people refer to as your anaerobic threshold, is mm-hmm. what you time trial at. Mm-hmm. But there's this lower threshold, which is LT1, and that's what you can kind of hold for five, six hours. You can hold for a long time. And I'm a big believer that getting that LT1 up is really critical, particularly if you're a road racer and doing multiple hours, because then you can do most of the race without really fatiguing because you're at what your body feels is a low intensity. But particularly... Grant, as somebody who's focused on cyclocross, how do you feel about this? No, I think there's a lot of value in the idea of LT1 and raising that up. I think covering the distance or covering the time is super important, you know, especially as we go into this stuff that's it's a lot of people on the show that are starting to look at gravel and the gravel races that they're going to do. There's six, seven, eight hour races and and having that ability to kind of the slow burn through that that long period of time is really important. That's what I like about what he's playing with on the top end of base, right? Like pushing that envelope a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And plus base is all in vogue again, but base has always been. Should have always been. Right. It's always been king. And everybody knows I like to do intensity, but there's always a ton of base written into the schedule because that's where we get efficient at clearing. Yeah. We got to be able to clear what we're producing. And if you don't get efficient at clearing, doesn't matter how well you can produce it. Yeah. For cycling in general, I think that LT1 is a pretty universal sign of, of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And what we often see, and I've, I've done more lactate tests than I can count on people <laughs> and also on myself, actually. What you tend to see in people is this. Somebody comes in relatively unfit and they'll have what I'll call an upward sloping baseline. Maybe they're at 1.5, maybe they're even at two millimole to start. On the next stage, they creep up a little bit. They're 1.5, then they go 1.8, and then they go 2.1, and then they go 2.5, right. and then they go 3.5, and then they go 10, right. you know? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, they never, and they never have a nice flat baseline. So you go out and you prescribe base training to them, and what happens? Now they're, okay, they're, they're 1.3, they're 1.3, they're 1.3, they're 1.4, they're 1.5, and then they go up from there, Right. Yeah. Grant, no, no, I was just going to joke that often you see 1.3, 1. 1.3, 1. 1.8, 1. yeah. 1.3. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a bit of a whoopsie on, right. on that. But I do think what you're saying is dead on, right? Yeah. The base isn't fatiguing you anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what people run into a lot is like just going and doing a long base ride. I remember this when I first started training. I would go out and do a three-hour ride and I was exhausted. I had to lay on the couch. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even going that hard, yeah. really. And so this, this just breeds that ability to go. And the other thing that I like about what Siler's doing is when you push the wattage up that little bit, you are still producing more. And now you drop back down and you clear it all out. Like there's no science behind this necessarily, but the anecdotally it should feel like yeah. this should up the efficiency of mm-hmm. what we're trying to do in that zone. Yeah. I really like that. So let's completely shift gears here. Amex OTS. Let's hit every zone. Let's accumulate a ton of training stress. So this was Frank Overton's leading into the season. I love this workout when you're getting closer to racing because then when you're racing, you're hitting every zone. Yeah. For me, it's dangerous because I feel like you are giving the athlete free license to absolutely wallop themselves with no structure. And I would go out in that workout if I wanted to get to 200 TSS or OTS or however he describes it, I'd just do one minute efforts Yeah. or 20 second huge efforts. And But that's helpful 
but I can't believe I'm saying this. It's a little too unstructured for my taste. Wow, look at that. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Shocking, Trevor right? just whipped his head around <laughs> fast enough to give himself whiplash. <laughs> he might have hurt himself. Yeah, Grant, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a time and zone type of person, right? And, yeah. and hearing Frank talk about this, it just, it always reminds me because, you know, Frank is a brilliant coach. He's yeah, had such great success. No He's such a cool that. dude. You know, I love Frank. But we tend to look at things in a very different way. And, you know, prior to developing OTS, Frank was really big on on KJs, on prescribing by kilojoules mm-hmm. and go out and accumulate X number of kilojoules. And, and here's the thing. I don't think that that works in my training structure, but it definitely works in Frank's training structure. Yeah, absolutely. That's right? a really fair point. Right. And And I think the other thing is, as we talk about the, you know, everybody's new favorite metric durability mm-hmm. and you can start to yeah. get into, you know, I'll play around with prescribing KJs before I want you to get this many kilojoules in before you go do the sure. uh, intervals because I want that durability to come up. But it still scares me. I still go back and look at what they did to get the kilojoules up. <laughs> right? That's a lot. Right? Like, you did that in an hour? Wait a second. Yeah. Let's go Dang look it. at this again. That probably wasn't going to work. You know, my instant reaction is, oh, boy, that's not what I would get. But I got to admit, you know, so some of my best years, I wouldn't do it all winter. But as you're getting towards the end of the winters, I'm getting close to the season. I always love to go out and do what's called the oval ride in Fort Collins, which was, it was six mm-hmm. hours on yeah. the bike. And first hour and a half, you're hitting all these sprint lines, doing these super hard 30-second, one-minute efforts. Then you hit the hills, and you're doing five, six, seven, eight-minute efforts. And then I, just because I was stupid, when we were getting close to the finish line, they'd turn right, I'd turn right, go climb this HC climb, Mm -hmm. and then limp home. Right. What I was going to say is this OTS, Amex OTX ride, looks like a group ride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think... That's a really nice way for coaches to incorporate the group ride because that can be a challenge sometimes of how to incorporate the group ride into the training. And it's important to be able to give athletes the opportunity to go out and enjoy riding yeah. the bike, right? And yeah. Perfect, perfect training is is solo training so that you're doing everything to a T, right? But is that really perfect training? Well, and then, and furthermore, this is a, kind of a fun workout too. You get to go hammer yourself in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not fun to you, Griffin? That's not mm-hmm. what you had on the list of fun? No, no, I'm just, I'm loving this. I really appreciate as you're going through each of these workouts, you know, is this suitable for a solo ride or for a group ride? And then also the notes that we have on the comparison of what's actually happening with stress and the workload during the workout. So whereas we're polarizing stress with Siler's workout, this one, you're just trying to accumulate stress. And so I think being able to pick apart this so that as coaches or athletes are listening to this, they're understanding when to plug and play each of these workouts is a good idea. So I think my, I have questions right now that I can't answer. I'd be asking you about what we're talking about and we're saying we're accumulating stress throughout this particular ride. Yeah. Two things I want to point out. One, I love that you're pointing out the stress aspect of it because that's really what we're talking about, right? It is stress on the body and then hopefully the adaptation that comes from that. But I will say the more you do the Siler, then the better you can do the Frank Overton. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So what about Sonia Looney's? What's our thoughts on this? Three by 15. One of the ones I do is 15, then a 10, then a five. This is pretty typical early season stuff, getting into the tempo zones. 
The only thing out of this that I would question is what mountain bike races is she doing that she's like, yeah. this is, well, <laughs> which I know. She, she's I more know of a the marathon yeah. than an Olympic yeah. or a short track mountain yeah. biker. But that also is definitely true of most of the mountain bike races in Colorado mm-hmm. and a lot of the ones in the States. Mm-hmm. Long climb, then recover on the downhill, then long climb, recover on the downhill. And this is a really good example of kind of starting to get yourself used to what you're going to go see in your races. Yeah. I mean, I will say though, I wouldn't go three by 15 for um, more novice athletes. I wouldn't go three by 15 for some people who might not have a good base of fitness. I think that 45 minutes of stress is, it's a decent amount, especially depending on how close to threshold you're getting. Well, that's the question, right? If this is true tempo, then we're getting a very similar physiological response to what we get in base. Mm -hmm. It's just a little harder. But as we creep toward sub threshold work, this is a completely different workout. And that's where I was going to split hairs because that's what she said. She said just below threshold. And I always think of, you know, we got Dean Golich to describe his training plan to us. And he loves, as you're getting into February and March, doing three by 20s, which is fairly close. Mm-hmm. And he has his athletes do it sub threshold. So like 95%. 95 90, FTP, yeah. Yeah, right around there. And his point was, what he has seen is it's doing it at 95% of threshold, doing it 100% of threshold, doing 103% of threshold, all the exact same adaptation. Yeah, it doesn't much matter. So I would split the hair slightly. You know, she didn't give an exact number, but I would actually personally call this a little more of a threshold workout. But still in that case, right, if we look at this as a threshold workout, just a couple of weeks ago, Trevor, you and I were talking about pushing more threshold work during this time of year, mm-hmm. starting to get used to that, starting to have that in the body. And then we can get more specific as we go down the line. And even myself who loves lots of different zones, that is definitely something that I'm doing a lot more in the winter time, true threshold work, or even high tempo work, or even regular tempo work, just start to get the work out of base, start to get you to understand what it feels like to be under load without crippling you and now the truth comes out i've always done that you like me grant you really like (laughs) me (laughs) you like my threshold work that is its own episode i don't know if we like that scoff yeah that is its own episode (laughs) burr winter the air is cold but you're getting back to conditioning and looking to rev up your training if you haven't already now is a great time of year to reflect on the past season Specifically, when it comes to data and recovery, two very important metrics in endurance sports. Visit Fast Talk Labs and take a look at our pathways on recovery and data analysis. These two in-depth guides can help you get the most from your off-season. See more at fasttalklabs.com pathways. Shall we shift to our uh, three high-intensity workouts? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the first one... Friend of the show, Dr. Paul Larson, wrote an entire book on hit work. So guess what we're getting from him? Not hit man, hit work. High intensity training. Yes. So he brought up a workout that he loves to do when he's short on time. And it's 30-15. So 30 seconds really hard, 15 seconds recovery. You repeat that a bunch of times. It's basically a Tabata workout, but we'll let him talk about how to do it and why he likes it. My favorite workout is a 30-15 session where I might do, you know, maybe I've got 
30, 45 minutes, and I've got a really busy day, but I, I've got this little block on the bike, and uh, I know I can just go, go to my trainer, and I, do, um, I can get this done in between 30 and, and, and 45 minutes, and it just gives me that awakening. It's, it's, a, it's a VO2 session where I might warm up for like 10 minutes on the trainer, and then I will break into uh, sets of, of 30, 15. I do, usually do about eight of them, and it's usually about um, five minutes per, per set of 30, 30 seconds hard zone, you know, zone six, 15 seconds easy zone one, and do, you know, repeat those for, re- do eight of those, that's a, that's a five minute block. Two to three minutes recovery in between, almost kind of go by feel, do another block, do a third block. I, I do thir- three is kind of my minimum, but that's, you know, I can even like uh, do a five minute or a 10 minute cool down thereafter. But, you know, in terms of making me feel good and getting, feeling like I've done something in the day, even when I'm super busy, I love that 30 15 session. You know, I've got, got a thousand others that I love too, but I'll, if I had to pick one, I'll, I'll go with that one. I guess the value of it is that cognitively I will I'll feel a lot better in my day because I've done something. Uh, so it is the time efficiency of that, of that workout. Uh, it is, of course, VO2max stimulating, right? So you're going to get both uh, large, fast-twitch muscle fiber recruitment for the work outputs, and um, also I'm going to get ventricular contraction. So you know all the things that you get with VO2 max. So my, my heart's going to build and be stronger. And I'm going to feel great thereafter. For me, in my context, busy CEO a little bit. You know, between meetings or various different things, I might have 90 minutes or an hour to get sort of something done. I would use it there, but I w- you can equally use this in any sort of given microcycle in the week to hit that. VO2 max nail, right? If you can only do uh, L2 sessions or around that, then uh, this is a great one to just get in there, time efficient, and you hit the VO2 nail. All right, let's shift gears a little bit here. We have Brady Homer, who is a writer at examine.com and an exercise physiologist. He actually gave us two workouts. He's a runner, so he's giving us a couple run workouts. One is the classic, what's called the cruise interval, doing mile repeats. Talking about you start with three, you might build up to doing seven of them. We'll let him describe that. And then he talks about the four by four minute intervals at 85 to 90% of max heart rate. So let's hear him describe both these workouts. So I'll talk about maybe one that I like personally, and then maybe one that I think has some very good research to back it up. I'll preface this saying that my background is primarily in endurance running, so I'm primarily a runner. But a favorite workout of mine, a classic workout, is the good old mile repeats. So I think these are great for kind of big sort of bridge a gap between doing a maybe a slower tempo run and faster, quote unquote, maybe lactic threshold or anaerobic uh, intervals. But for me, these have always just been throughout the season, something that I've performed, whether it's during the summer when I'm training for like a base training um, or kind of whether I'm trying to hone race pace, doing mile repeats is something that I've never really not done as as a runner. Um, I'll do anywhere from three of those if it's kind of early on to up to kind of six or seven is probably the maximum that I would do. But essentially what that is, is I'll just run one mile. I'll recover for depending again on, on the time in the season, about maybe three to five minutes, and then I'll just run one again. Those should be at a somewhat comfortable 
pace, but um, by the end of them, you're, you're pretty tired. So they're kind of like threshold intervals in college. My coach called them cruise intervals. They go by many names, but I think these are good to do kind of earlier on in the season. This depends on, you know, what the length of your event is, but, you know, they're great for, for base building and what, you know, you can kind of gear them towards, they're not necessarily at a prescribed intensity. So they're going to be relative to kind of whatever your current fitness is at that point um, and like relative to your race pace. So as you get fitter, those might get faster. So I kind of do mile repeats closer towards the beginning, but mile repeats are one of my favorite workouts to do personally. I think a session that has some good evidence behind it would be four by four minute protocol. So this is a high intensity interval session. So essentially what it involves is just doing a total of four, four minute intervals. And those are going to be between 85% and 95% of your heart rate or your VO2 max interspersed with three minute recoveries. Those have very good evidence behind them to support in particular, increasing one's uh, VO2 max. So the four by four, I think that's kind of a good, yeah, it could be a good base building workout, but it could be a good workout for sort of uh, sharpening your racing skills like later on in the season. Finally, our third high intensity workout. This comes from Lauren Valley. She calls it her power hour. It is one minute on, one minute off for an excruciating length of time. Let's just let her describe it. I think one of my favorite workouts is an hour bike ride that's called power hour and it's 20 minutes smooth warm up. And then basically it's 20 by one minute on one minute off. And you are trying to hit the max sustainable output that you can at a certain cadence. So that cadence changes for me, depending on the part of the season that I'm in. So if it's post season, typically it's going to be 55 to 60 RPM. So it's going to be grinding a really big gear and that is a special form of torture but i really like that set so i've never actually heard that variation on it so what is the reason you do this workout what are the gains so the gains are at that low cadence i coach a lot of low cadence training for my triathletes and this to be specific it's non-draft legal racing which is very different than draft legal triathlon so the 55 to 60 rpms you're really holding the muscle contraction longer as you're driving the pedal down and it just builds tremendous strength at quite a low heart rate for the amount of work and power you're putting out. So it's just a ton of strength that you're building in the off season, which for me, I think is really smart because you're not just sitting on the trainer for four hours at a zone two intensity. You're going to get a lot of bang for your buck with that session. And you said this is just something that you do in the off season? No, that session can be used all year, but you may, what I start to do if I use it in season is I start incorporating more race-specific cadence. So anywhere from 70 to 80 RPMs, depending on the athlete. Some of my athletes ride closer to 80. Some of them ride closer to 70. I typically ride between 68 and 75 RPMs when I race. So that's kind of a sweet spot for if I'm doing that workout in season. Lauren, can I ask, are you aiming for a specific power output during this workout? Not necessarily. It's supposed to be best repeatable output. And so if I were to give somebody a cadence floor, maybe I might say, you know, don't really work hard to get higher than 230 if you can. I might do that, but I coach using perceived exertion. And then I use the data afterwards to be the feedback. And we could go into a whole conversation about why. But it really is supposed to be best sustainable output. And what happens the more you do that workout is you really get a feel for, oh, I can sustain 20 reps of this. And that is part of the outcome and part of the goal of doing that workout. 
And so as you do it, yeah, you should have a sense that, okay, at 70 RPMs, I'm trying to hit 230 watts. And then I'm looking at as, as the reps go on, am I losing power? Am I building power? Am I staying the same? So you kind of use the power within the workout to kind of meter out your intensity. And then me as the coach will sit down with the athlete afterwards and talk about was this higher or, or lower than last time? And what was the context that you did that workout in? How much fatigue do you have? You know, how close are we to a race? All right, guys, what do you think? Which should you like? Which sounds horrifying? Would you use all these and would you use them for the same purposes or is no. there some variety here? <laughs> no? No. Absolutely not use it for the same purpose. Oh, right. You know, Dr. Larson is doing a, a 30 by 15, 30 seconds on, 15 seconds off. I tend to be more of a 30-30 type of person. Grant, I know you like to do a lot of 40-20s. There's a lot of different workouts in very similar vein, but I think that they all work a little bit differently, to tell you the truth. I agree with that. 3015, 2010s, the true Tabata kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I believe, and maybe this is just me personally and how I do them, I think it pushes you a little bit out of thresholdy style stuff. You can see a little more variability in heart rate because the efforts aren't as long. Mm -hmm. When you start with a 4020, what you tend to see is a, a pretty steady average right around threshold in terms of heart rate yeah and power and power if you look at sure. average power after 10 by 40 20 you're going to see an average power that's kind of dead at your threshold yeah to me i've always liked that because that's a different way to get threshold work in mm -hmm. that similarly reflects racing yeah i think when you start getting shorter and you get into that you know 30 15 20 10 that's more spiky yeah and then you go kind of 40 20 30 30 20 40 by the time you're at 20 40 the heart rate's kind of just getting a little bit more steady. But I really like 3015s. I do them pretty early in the season. Mm -hmm. I like it on a Tuesday and, you know, then turning around on a Wednesday and doing more thresholdy stuff. I like touching that VO2 max world and then stepping away from it. Yep. And, you know, as I've said on the show, I think that like VO2 max is such a misleading term because it's like everything over threshold. Yep. There's a ton of nuance in there. Mm -hmm. So I really like going to 3015. I like how that workout feels. I like what it does for an athlete. It kind of preps them for what's to come. Yeah. For me, it's, I don't term these VO2 max. I term them max aerobic power. Yeah. Because that's kind of what that's you're doing. Fair. You're doing these at around a max aerobic power. But because the work and the rest are both so short, I think that VO2 tends to lag behind. Yep. And if we're looking at a time at VO2 max, and that's when I think of a VO2 max workout, I think more of the bent Ron sad time at VO2 max. I think that there are better ways to achieve that. But for me, working through a progression like this, getting the body used to that max aerobic power for short palatable time periods. Mm -hmm. This is a great, in my, I use this during the base season, a great lead in to true yep. VO2 max yep. work. It lets you get used to it without the pain of the full VO2 work. And it also starts getting you used to the pain. Yeah. Like, oh, I can do this again. That's the big thing for me. That's what I love about Tabatas. Mm -hmm. I do think physiological adaptations, there's multiple different ways to get very similar adaptations, but you think about racing, how often are you in a race where somebody attacks, you respond to them, you do this huge 20, 30 right. second effort. Right. You just caught them. You're trying to catch your breath. Somebody else attacks yep. and you got to go again. You got to get used to that 
huge effort. You don't get enough time to recover right. before you got to do huge effort again. Yep. Well, and there's multiple ways to do Tabatas. One of the ways to do Tabatas is you kind of cap the high-end effort, right? Say so you're going to do the on at 150% of threshold power. The other way to do them is just go as hard as you possibly can, and you're going to watch it fall off mm -hmm. as you go through the eight. Another one, you watch it be pretty steady through the eight. Yep. And so, like, again, I, I will forever say there's a lot of nuance up there and how you use it is really important. But I agree with Trevor. You're starting to get used to hurting. Yeah. And there's something to that. I, I actually, I do the opposite. I cap the recovery and I make the recovery a base wattage. I make the recovery 65, 70% of FTP. And what that means is because you're not dropping to zero, because right. you're not dropping to 50 RPM, it limits how hard you're going on the next one. And that's what I do on 4020s. Yep. I do that same idea on 4020s. When I get a little shorter, like 3015s or 2010s, I don't really cap it. Sure. Like go hard, go easy, go yep. hard, go easy. But 4020s, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I really like this workout early season. You just have to be careful about A, how often you use it. Mm -hmm. And where you use it in the week. Yep. You don't love me as much as I thought you did. So then why do you get to the end of this workout and feel great then? Because I just heard you all talking about capping out so much. Why does someone feel great after this? Exactly what Larson said. You feel like you did a lot. Yep. You yep. feel like you worked out. Mm. It's just such a great short time piece. And this is one of those quintessential workouts that, again, we were talking about is you touch every single zone or every zone is involved in what you're trying to do. There's no such thing as I'm only in zone three. Well, I don't think there's ever anything that you're truly only in zone three, but this is one of those things that can be inferred as VO2 max, could be looked at as threshold, can be looked at as sprint, can be looked at in all these different ways. So you walk out of it going, man, I just waxed myself. This was awesome. Yeah. It's a great way to feel like you got a lot done. I think that for a lot of athletes, a little bit of suffering is a pleasurable thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and what happens in an on-off situation like this is Every rep, you just get into a little bit of suffering without going into, right. oh, this is too much suffering. You touch it and leave. You, you, and you, you touch it and you touch it and you touch And, you know, he's doing, what, eight repeats, you know, multiple yeah. sets of that. Yeah. You know, so you're getting 24 little instances of just a little bit of suffering. Yeah. And, and by the end, the sum of that feels good without ever cross the line where you're begging for the interval to end. The other thing yeah. I love about this, and again, for early season, awesome on the trainer. Mm -hmm. This is an yeah. awesome way to pass time on the trainer. Yep. Um, it, it's hard to do this stuff outside. It is. It, I'm it's, the exact it's, opposite. Really? Tabatas, I cannot do them on the trainer. Wow. I have to do them outside. Wow. Weird, dude. Look at you. You're weird. You just don't love me at all. <laughs> no, I love you. I love you for your quirks. <laughs> I love you for who you aren't. Fair. So Brady Homer, this is kind of a shift. Yeah. And do we want to talk about both? Do we want to talk about his four by fours, his, his one mile efforts? Well, I, I think his four by fours, as he says, these are something he does later in the season, right? Yes. Right. So he basically says the one miles are something he does early yeah. to kind of build up. And then the four by fours are an in-season thing. What I like about this, and I actually could read this completely wrong. It's kind of the old uh, runner float mentality, mm -hmm. La Cruz. You're going to go out and you're going to do this with some speed but you're not pushing. You're allowing speed to come up. And I think that's another really kind of fun thing this early in the year. Let the let the stride catch up. Let the technique catch up. You're not worried about the pace. You're not worried about your watch. Just go up the pace for a mile and then calm it down. Up the pace for a mile and then calm it down. Again, a, a, another way to introduce workload. Mm -hmm. For me, though, I look at it a little bit differently. I don't like 
thresholdy stuff early in training. Early in training is when I'm really polarizing a lot. I'm either very base or I'm really focused on that max aerobic power VO2. Rob really doesn't like me. <laughs> Why is that? Part of who you are. It's, it's in some regard part of who I am. No, I believe that in some regard, I think that those are the purest focus on the physiology side of things. For me, when it comes to threshold work, I, I think that there's obviously some physiological adaptation, but there's a lot of other things that come that are a little bit more event and performance specific there. And so I tend to kind of base season focus on base work, zone two or VO2 work. During the build, that's when I'm really focused on a big volume of thresholdy type of training. And when we get to race season, I'm almost back to more of a sharpening with a VO2 high intensity. So I'm kind of like an hourglassy shaped person with, with how I do this. And so, you know, but hey, everybody's skins cats differently. And apparently Trevor skins cats incorrectly. <laughs> oh, boy. oh my God. So I'm going to bring up something that you haven't heard because I want to hear your response to this, Rob. I was talking with Dr. Seiler yesterday mm -hmm. and we were talking about the polarization of the low intensity and the high intensity. And he said, one thing he often sees people think is when they are polarizing, they have to extreme polarize, meaning they're either zone one or zone six with their tongues hanging out. And he said his experience is actually that you see a lot of that high intensity done more in zone four, which would be kind of that threshold a little above threshold type zone. How do you respond to that? Because you just said you like to polarize by going higher intensity. I would say that that's pyramidal training, not polarized training. Okay. <laughs> I, no, like I mean, that. hey, here's the thing, right? This is, this is training that I do. It's training that has worked well for me. It's training that's worked well for athletes. I think that pushing that upper VO2 max, max aerobic power sealing up makes room for the threshold improvements to come. I think that it's a great way to balance stress on the body because during base, I do relatively little VO2 max. We're not doing a lot of work. We're doing a lot of work down low. And then I think that people can handle through a build phase a lot more threshold or just sub-threshold training in terms of training volume. And so that's why I'm doing it sort of in that emphasis. Now in the race season looks different from base because there is more high intensity than I'm doing in base. I would agree with that. I think, I think you're hitting an interesting thought. I think that during the base season, are people ready for a ton of threshold? They do a ton of threshold and I don't know if they're ready for it. And, and I don't believe a little bit of threshold does anything for anybody. I mean, I disagree I agree physiologically, I disagree psychologically. And I think I'm always paying attention to training people psychologically sure. too. Well, but well, I've gone from feeling the love to just, I'm being attacked. No, <laughs> it's not about you, Trevor. It's not about you, Trevor. <laughs> but I, I do love the early season. And this is a good segue into Valley stuff. I love the early season intensity. I like going hard. Mm -hmm. I again would put a little bit more structure into it than what she's doing. She does everything on feel is what she's talking about. One of the things I love about high-end VO2 max work early in the year is that it is teaching people to push a really big gear at a really high cadence. Mm -hmm. And I think that people do one of the other. They tend to push a really big gear mm -hmm. and be at low cadence, yep. or they'd push a really high cadence at a really low gear. Mm -hmm. Sprinting, attacking, again, comes back to cyclocross and mountain bike. 
those people are spinning and they look super supple when they're spinning the pedals on the bike. They're pushing massive gears and massive watts. So that comfort that you can start to create at big watts with high cadence, I like it. And early in the year, you're not so fatigued that you get bogged down mm-hmm. in that. You can do it. This is something we talked about before with sprinting early in the year. You're going to hit these great sprint numbers that now you're going to try yourself to hold yourself to for the rest of the year. If you don't sprint early in the year, you're never going to see that big number. You're too tired. Yep. So the other thing that she brought up that I actually want to ask everybody here about is she says she coaches by perceived exertion. She doesn't give power or heart rate numbers. She is a total RPE-based person, and I find that really interesting. You know, I think that that probably works for some athletes. It might not work for others, but I will say a lot of coaches do not put enough emphasis on RPE. So I'm just happy to see that somebody even cares about it, to tell you the truth. I'd agree with that. I remember years ago getting into a battle with Neil about, how feel doesn't matter. And he was on me about feel is the only thing that matters. And what we got to eventually is I was talking about racing and he was talking about training. Mm. And I was like, oh no, I completely agree with you. Feel matters more than almost anything in the world when you're training. Yeah, I just don't want people to think about how they feel when they're racing because you should feel like crap. So don't like really focus in on it. But I do, I, I agree. I think we get too caught up in, this is my whole point with FTP, right? That FTP is beautiful because it incorporates feel mm-hmm. because you're going to have to make some choices. If I'm tired, I'm dehydrated, I'm beat up from my lift, I'm all those things, your functional threshold power might be lower. Yeah. And that's okay because you're still getting the same physiological response. Yeah. Something I find interesting about Lauren, right? She's primarily coaching uh, triathletes. Mm-hmm. And that is something where feel, I think, is able to swap more universally between the three disciplines. Yes. Right. And if you're only talking about these objective external metrics, you can't apply that to swimming. You can't apply that nope. as well to running. And so I think that it's great that she is focusing because that is something that is universal between swim, bike, and run. Yeah, and to piggyback on that, like run heart rate versus cycling heart rate, right? Yeah. What's your cycling heart rate at threshold versus what your run heart rate at threshold is? There, there could be 20 beats different. What, what's your cycling heart rate on your TT bike versus on your road frame? Right. It incorporates that variability. It, it pays attention to that variability. That's a really good point though about doing three disciplines. There's more crossover that way. The other thing too that I'll say is sometimes with high intensity, I think that it's just about working hard and not necessarily about telling <laughs> an athlete to hit a certain wattage. If I tell you 360 watts and you could have done it at 395, well, you probably should have done it at 395, you know? So yeah. that's where RPE comes in as well. well. That's something, when you're, particularly when you're talking about these short, like 30 second, 20 second efforts. Or, um, or 20 by one. Bleh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I love, love this, short well, stuff, I love this, this workout. Out. I love this. This is my favorite says, workout. Really? Wow. Okay. Revolver, but, 16 uh, by yeah, one yeah. minute. One of my favorite but, workouts. But the point I'm going to make, I always tell my athletes, if you are watching your power meter while doing the 20 second effort, yeah, you're doing it up, wrong. You're yeah. doing it wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. I love this workout as a preparation for cyclocross season. I love. Sure minute on minute off. And (laughs) I'll tell a little story. In the preparation for cyclocross world, Eric called me and said, I would like to change the training plan. I said, why is that? He goes, you got minute on minute offs on Saturday. And I'm in my head going, what doesn't want to work? He goes, those are too easy. 
Like I, he's not doing them right. No, he's doing them right. He's just used to these. This is something wow. he's very used to because we do them a lot. Yeah. So he'll go out and do minute on minute offs at 120 to 140 percent of threshold. And for him, he's like, that's just not that hard. But that's what I like to produce in an athlete because that's the kind of athlete I tend to coach. Mm -hmm. But I do like that she varies the cadence throughout the year. I would be a little bit hesitant to have it all be low cadence early in the year for this many of them, for 20 of them, that he's going to wreck the legs. But I understand that mindset of there's a lot of triathlon coaches that like that lower cadence because they're feeling like they're using a different musculature on the bike and then you can shift to the run and do a different musculature on the run. Grant, you talked about your athlete just now who will do minute on, minute offs at 100, 140% threshold. And you said, well, he can do that because they're just not that hard. How can something be 100% plus of threshold and it not be hard? <laughs> I think it's what athletes are used to. This is why I'm so adamant that the the psychology of sport is so important. If you spend time there, you get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it's 140, 150% of threshold power. I mean, I that's still well below max for a lot of these people. And it's not that the workout isn't hard. It's not that he's not going to be tired at the end of it. It's just that it's not a challenge mentally or physically. He knows he can complete the session and it's pretty just run of the mill. This is what he's used to. Yeah. And I'll say to illustrate this, I'm going to use a slightly different workout. And that is this, the first time you do a block of 30 thirties yeah. followed by threshold, <laughs> it's the most excruciating yes. thing you could possibly do. Yeah. Especially that first minute or two is just mm -hmm. you are willing yourself to not stop and take mm -hmm. a break. Mm -hmm. You do that workout once, twice, three times, definitely by the third time, you're like, this isn't so bad. Yeah, I, I know what's coming. Sorry to jump in. This is Neil's classic Batman, mm -hmm. ins and outs, right? You start yeah. with this huge VO2 max effort, and then you're settling in, you're recovering Correct. at threshold. Exactly. And the first time you do it, you're like, I can't recover here. And then it, eventually what you learn, Griffin, is like, when you do these over and over and over again, if you learn yourself and you're paying attention to yourself, you're like, at a minute, I know I'm going to feel better. Yep. And lo and behold, a minute to a minute and a half in, you're like, oh, okay, I'm okay. And, and this is a huge skill. I'm going to yeah. call it a skill. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it's a mental skill in cycling is learning how to recover even though things didn't necessarily get easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, And that's where these minute on, minute offs they sort of teach you that because mm -hmm. they stink and they're no fun and you want to stop after three, but you learn you can keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love them. So Griffin, let's give you the final word here. You're starting to get into this. Anything that you heard in these workouts that you go, man, I want to go out and try that. I think knowing where I'm at in my journey with endurance sports in this capacity, to me, I want to choose things that are going to build my confidence up and lay down basic skills. And I've had so many conversations now with Grant, especially, and, and Dr. Scott Fry about mindset and belief and kind of what that does to an athlete over time that I'm looking at some of these workouts that are more about sweet spot or, you know, the loony, the three by 15. Like, obviously I would love to be able to say that I'm crushing some Siler workouts. I'd be stoked to be able to say that, but I think really doing some of these things where I'm working at the core and then kind of customizing later, that would be ideal. So maybe the three by 15 sweet spot intervals. I like what Rob said at the end there about this power hour. Like you might want to die after three of these, which I think I would at this point, but knowing that if I just use that as the goal, 
Like if I can get up to 20, I think that would be fun for me right now, just knowing that I would have something to work towards. So I think that's the way I look at these. Fantastic. Well, any last thoughts? I think Griffin brought us out in a nice way. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Then that was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com. Tweet us with at fasttalklabs. Head to fasttalklabs.com to get access to our endurance sports knowledge base, coach continuing education, as well as our in-person remote athlete services. For Griffin McMath, Brant Holicky, Rob Pickles, I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening.